0: In Matthew, the 24th chapter, verse seven, there's a particular declaration that Jesus makes, and he says, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Many of you are familiar with that passage of scripture. There's some others we're gonna go to, but I want to particularly address that kind of set up what I wanna share with you this morning. Uh, That word, in the Greek language where it says, for nation shall rise against nation, I looked that up, that word nation, and it's actually in the Greek. It's a ethos, ethos, or ethnic group. We, we would say here in this day and time, race, or one race shall rise against another. So isn't it interesting that the word of God already told us it was going to be this way? That's why I say don't be alarmed. <laughs> God told us it was going to be this way that ethnos would rise against ethnos. Um, A couple of years ago, back when um, one of the first of the shootings took place that got national attention, it was in St. Louis, my hometown, uh, in Ferguson. Uh, Some of you may recall that I've shared with you that uh, I'm from that area and that my wife and I actually lived in the apartment complex where that took place back when we were new we were young couple we that was bc before children (laughs) that's how long ago that's been and our oldest is 30 so that tells you how how long that's been that we lived in ferguson Uh, um, but a a dear brother from another uh, church here in uh, over here in mechanicsburg uh, actually in camp hill Uh, Well-known ministry there, many of you know, at Christ Community Church. And he took me to lunch a couple of years ago, um, right after the Ferguson incident and the riots that took place. And he wanted to know uh, if it's true that black people get stopped by the police. Is it true that they get stopped by the police all the time for no reason? And I told him, well, yeah, it was so common uh, that it was just part of life for me growing up and in his eyes filled with tears. We were just sitting at lunch and his eyes filled with tears. Uh, and he said, I felt like I could ask you, we're, we're brothers in the Lord, and I felt like I could ask you and that you would tell me the truth. He said, because I'm born and raised here in, uh, in Pennsylvania and here in South Central Pennsylvania, and that's not a part of my life and my world. And you hear things on TV and you see all these things. and..." you really don't know for yourself. And you don't know if you're gonna get a straight answer if you do ask someone who's black. You don't know if you're gonna get a militant answer, <laughs> an angry answer, or if you're just gonna get a real answer. And I so, said, yeah, it's just a, it was just a part of life growing up. Uh, walking down the street and cops would pull up. I remember the first time I got stopped by the cops, I was eight years old. It's just, it's just a part of life. It just became a part of life. And so, um, uh, but, it gave him a little bit better understanding about uh, about black or uh, African-American Christian believers that when you hear us talk about these things, we're not coming at it from a standpoint of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness. It's, it's just the same as, many of you will relate to this, when we, when you talk to Uh, anyone from Israel, and they're trying to help us understand what it's like for them to live in this world. And we go, oh, okay. There has been oppression. There have been attacks against you. And especially when you come across those who are messianic, they actually believe in the Messiah, but their belief in the Messiah, the true Messiah, still doesn't change what happens to them in this world the social issues, the pressures, the prejudices, it doesn't change it. And so many believers in America relate and connect with that. They go, okay, I understand it, Messianic believers, and you still gotta deal with uh, Islam and those who really hate you. We get that. And so that's what African American believers are trying to say, is that for us, our life is similar to that that even though we've given our hearts to the Lord, it still doesn't change the dynamics of some of the things that we have to deal with here in America. Isn't that something? Yeah. And we know that's not everybody, especially we know that's not everybody because we got too many wonderful loving brothers and sisters like we do here at the, here in, uh, at, at the barn. We know it's not everybody. In fact, uh, the real deal is this. Uh, I remember when we first moved here to Harrisburg 12 years ago and, and we're going through the usual things of trying to find, you know, of, uh, find our way in this community. Didn't hardly know anybody. We're going to plant a church and you run into all of the various hostilities and things in the, in the world. But I remember as soon as we connected with believers, there was instant peace. And the believers were black and white and Latino. They were all different ethnic groups. But the one thing that was in common was that they were believers. And instantly, there was the peace that we were looking for when we moved here. It wasn't in the world. The world can even have all kinds of systems, you know, government systems, neighborhood systems, where somebody comes to your door and welcomes you to the neighborhood. But there's no love there. They're just doing it because that's their job. <laughs> but something's different the moment we encountered people of God. And then it was like, "Oh, okay, there it is. Yes, that's what we recognize. There is yes, peace, love, genuine love. That's what we've been looking for since we moved here. And so I've just shared that with you because uh, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5:18. You can write these down. Second Corinthians five eighteen. We're also going to look at Ephesians four verses one through four, and finally we're going to look at uh, then we're going to look at Proverbs four and seven. Those three scriptures: Second Corinthians five eighteen, Ephesians four, the first four verses, and then we're going to look at Proverbs four, the seventh verse. And I want to combine all of these particular. Uh, verses together to address, to help us to address the issue of reconciliation here in our nation. I want to call this message this morning, Prayer Matters. (laughs) Prayer Matters. Right now, there's this ongoing debate between Black Lives Matter and All Lives Matter, and I'm gonna stand before you and say, prayer matters. <laughs> because we're not gonna settle this in the flesh. Can't be settled in the flesh. There's too many issues on the table, too many different perspectives, too many different experiences that people come to the table with. You're not gonna settle, settle it. There are things that policy, government policy and laws simply cannot deal with. These are all heart issues. They are matters of the heart. You could change all of the laws tomorrow and make America a totally conservative law uh, government from one end of the country to the other And do you think anything will change? No, why? Because hearts haven't been changed. People will just simply rise up and rebel against the new law. Why? Because it's not on the inside. And so as the church, we have an incredible, just a a powerful uh, mission, an appointment from God to preach and demonstrate the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus told Pilate, he said, My kingdom's not of this world. In other words, he was telling Pilate, you can pass this message on to Caesar. I'm not here to overthrow the Roman government, at least not the way you think I am. (laughs) My government is about governing hearts. I'm here to have my government established inside of people's hearts. In other words, Jesus was letting us know down through history, the government that I'm going to bring is going to be of such that without lifting one weapon, one sword, one gun, dropping one bomb, I will take over the entire planet. (laughs) Come on, on, bless the Lord. (laughs) Why? Because... Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not natural. They're mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds. Remember I taught about strongholds, it's mindsets, ideas, thoughts that are inspired by the demonic. So what I'm fighting with, righteousness, see the kingdom of God is righteousness, it's peace, it's joy in the Holy Ghost, Woo, so all of the weapons, none of, my weapons is, are completely different and I'm, I'm doing a world takeover inside of people. That's why the kingdom of God can flourish even in a communist nation, even under a dictator, even under socialism. It doesn't make any difference. Down through history, no matter what government systems have been in place, you've never been able to completely stop the move of God. Why? Because he moves in the hearts of men and women. Come on, bless him right now. Thank you, Lord. So 2 Corinthians 5:18 says, This is the Apostle Paul. He says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I looked up the word reconciliation. It's a Greek word, it's pronounced catalasso. and it means to change or exchange. For instance, and it gave you specifically an example as coins for others of equivalent value. For instance, if I said, if I gave you a dollar bill and said, do you have change for a dollar? We do that all the time. This is what this is reconciliation. Reconciliation is I give you a dollar, you give me back four quarters or 10 dimes or 20 nickels or 100 pennies. What was reconciled, the same value that I handed to you, you gave it back to me. So a ministry of reconciliation is more than just, uh, than just saying, let's all love each other and hug each other, no, that means we now must actually take the time and think about the equality, the equal value that we have with one another. It goes on a lot in marriage like this. A husband can say, can say something to, or, or say something to his wife like this. You're always so emotional she tells you how she's feeling and then we respond with you're so emotional that's the equivalent of her saying would you give me change for a dollar and then you give her back 50 cents you devalued what she was giving you in that moment and so reconciliation says I must stop and really look at what they're handing to me what they're giving to me, what they're speaking to me, what they're sharing with me. And even if I can't identify with it, I'm going to give them back. I'm going to reconcile what they've handed to me. Give them back equal. I'm going to appreciate. Even if I don't understand it, I will at least try to appreciate what they're saying to me. Um, I remember when my wife and I were youth pastors back in Missouri. And one of the things that sometimes you have to deal with when you're in an inner city environment is uh, if a child comes to you, a teenager, and says that they are being abused, whether it's sexual abuse or physical abuse, and you're required by law to report it. And so the Ministry of Reconciliation for us in those situations was to not diminish what this person is telling me. Don't dismiss it. Don't, don't minimize it. This is serious. Even if it turns out that they are lying, I, I still must address this with the seriousness that this person is bringing it to me. So one of the things that's happening here in America uh, is that people are speaking out more and more about the things that they have been going through and that they are going through. And sometimes, there are, especially in the body of Christ, we have to be careful to not minimize that. That if someone says a police stopped me, they did. there was something unusual with how I was treated. Or, if it's a teacher, or a social worker, If they're saying, and you keep hearing the outcry coming out, something's going on, something's going on, then we in the body of Christ have to actually stop and go, wait a minute, for it to keep coming forth and keep coming forth. This is more than just somebody crying wolf. This is more than just someone who has a vendetta. Something's going on. Remember the old phrase, if there's smoke? (laughs) And there's smoke coming up out of America's inner cities, which means somewhere there's a fire. Now I'm gonna talk with you a little bit later to, to bring a little bit more explanation as to what's going on. I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Sunday after all of this breaks out that Carol and I were scheduled to be here. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God wanted us to say something and address something. And I wanna ask, every time we minister, we wanna put tools in your hand so that all of us know how to better address these issues that America is facing. Why am I saying this? Because God has proven, God has proven that he has raised up Pastor Paul to be a leader in the Ministry of Reconciliation in this region and I believe also even in this nation, a leader, and he wants all of us to be prepared for those who will come with their questions and with their hurt, and yeah, even with their prejudices, because they've been told all white people hate black people, all white people hate brown people, all white people are the same. It's all the same. I don't care. I don't care what they say. They're just smiling, but they don't really mean it. And so God wants us to be able to take, even when they hand that out to us, that we can take it and go, okay, oh, right. let me move into the ministry of reconciliation. Don't take it personally. Don't take it as assault against me. They're hurt. They don't know the Lord. Let me reconcile this and give them not. Payback, but okay, you just handed me a thousand dollars worth of com- and asked me to give you change for a thousand dollars. That's serious. Oh, what am I getting at? So now I must take seriously what they're saying. And now, Lord, help me, help me, give me the words, give me the ministry that this person needs. Isn't that awesome? God's going to use you, and I'm prophesying to you right now, God's going to use you to diffuse a lot of potential bombs. He's going to use you to diffuse a lot of potential bombs. For the first time, some are going to discover the love of God through you. You said but i thought it would be another through another brown face or another red face or another another black face like them no he'll use someone completely different i know that's what's happened in my life somebody who didn't look like me didn't talk like me didn't know anything about my background or culture but god used them to touch me wow come on right now say yes lord use me Use me, Lord. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4 says, I therefore, this is Paul writing, Ephesians 4, right at the first verse, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With and Here's how to walk it out. <laughs> with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, and I love this phrase, bearing with one another in love wow so now think about what we just said about the ministry of reconciliation paul was always really consistent no matter when he's talking to the corinthians or the ephesians colossians you will see many times the same themes running through his writings and so i want to connect that where he says we've been given a ministry of reconciliation now he's telling the ephesians to walk worthy of the calling which you were called To walk worthy of this ministry of reconciliation and here's how to do it with lowliness or humility and gentleness with long suffering which means with some people it may take a while before they get it and then he says bearing with one another in love now of course he was writing to believers in Ephesus. And I'm kind of taking a little bit of liberty by giving some strategy, some biblical principle of how to deal with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ who are still struggling with the issues of different ethnic backgrounds. I'm not even talking about the world right now. Do you know that even within the body, there are many believers that are really struggling with this issue every time polls are taken uh, and surveys are taken, you will not only discover that the world is divided over this issue, but even the church and its division is, is on racial lines. I looked at a survey that was taken by George Barna, some of you are familiar with Barna, um, and he, talk, he asked the question if, uh, about police brutality, uh, how it's perceived Um, and he asked it in the church and he discovered that the majority, the majority of of, uh, black people in the church see policing as a problem and the majority of white don't see it as policing as a problem and so can't you see how right in the church we're divided over it. Now how can we be reconciled? It's gonna take just what I said, where both sides look at. If, if this is what I'm handing to you, so if someone who's white comes to me and says, I don't see it as a problem, I can't dismiss it. I've got this, well, why don't you see it as a problem? And and you, you know what you're gonna do? You're gonna say, because in my life's experience, it was they were there to serve and protect, and that's what I experienced. I knew the policemen in my neighborhood. I knew the ones that came around the school. They knew us. They knew our families. They knew our background. So they were very familiar. So it really wasn't an issue for me. I was taught to respect them, to honor them. And then you talk to someone black and they'll say, like me, from eight years old, I've got nothing but harassment. We were not taught verbally to fear them. They taught us to fear them. Wow. And if I hadn't had friends and friends who joined the force, I would never have known any different. Today, I can tell you, we have a couple of young men that Carol and I used to pastor in our youth ministry who are now police officers in St. Louis. And you'll find that, and this what I'm saying to you now is part of the reconciliation as you begin to talk and share stories and swap back and forth, exchange the funds, give me change for a (laughs) dollar and let's match and equal up. Then you go, oh, I can understand why you would feel that way. I've talked to, Carol and I have talked with a couple of officers and one of the things that they share with us is that The training, and we even talked to a state senator on this, the training, and Gene could probably verify this, (laughs) Brother Gene, the training of officers today is different from how it was back in the 60s, 50s and 60s when I was coming up and growing up. The training is a lot more militaristic now. Their actual training is a lot more militaristic. One officer shared with us just this last week, he said one of the things that has happened is that uh, because of the shortage of officers, officers are placed in neighborhoods where they don't know the people. So when they're driving through a neighborhood, they don't know the difference between the kids who are out to do harm and the kids who are just trying to get to school. They're they're not bothering anybody. And since all the kids dress alike, and their mannerisms are alike. They don't know. This is an officer that actually told us this. He said, one of the first things that you do is you start patrolling the neighborhood to find out who is who. And you get out and you walk the streets and you greet people and you meet people. He said, officers don't have time to do that now. They don't. They don't have time. Wow. Now, what I'm sharing, why am I getting into all of that? Because that's part of the reconciliation. Now, if more African-Americans understood what I'm saying to you right now, we would have far less conflict if they just understood that simple thing that most of them, they're not out to get anybody. They're working a tough job. They don't know who anybody is. They've been thrown into a neighborhood where they don't know anyone. And believe me, and crime is bad. I can tell you this little secret I let you in on. Most of us who grew up in the inner city, we were more afraid of getting our own, getting our houses broken into, and the crime in the neighborhood than we were the police. The police were the last, the the last thing on the list that we were worried about. Am I right, Mom? <laughs> it was, the, it was the criminals in the neighborhood, and we knew who the criminals were. But there's this little rule in the in the hood. They call it snitches get stitches. So if you tell what you know, you can get hurt. Your family can get hurt. Now, as I'm sharing, we'll say, Pastor Chris, why are you sharing all of this? Because this is part of the reconciliation. When you hear people saying we need to have more dialogue and conversation, this is it. Because these are the things that brings the understanding for us in the body. I'm not talking about the world, just in the body. Then when we look at one another, then the barrier is broken. There's no more prejudice. Prejudice is basically prejudging. Now I get it. How I many of you you may have even said that to this morning as I've been talking, like, "Oh, now I get it." It really is. It's a very complicated issue that has one simple answer. Isn't that amazing? But it's always like that with the things of God. The complicated, multi layered issues of our life can be solved with one answer Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And then Proverbs 4 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And all you're getting, and that's what I've been doing this morning, and all you're getting, get understanding. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Before I go any further, I just want to pray because there's something I want to share with you really quick and then I'll let you go. Bless the Lord. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity you have given us to share this special word and to deliver this message in this critical hour in america there's so much going on but lord i believe that you have empowered cumberland valley church pastor paul his wife atha the leaders the congregation you have positioned them and you have prepared them for this hour in america and i thank you lord god as i impart this word that your people would be equipped and well able to stand in this hour in jesus name we pray amen, amen. did you know that in the early church they had to deal with ethnic issues <coughs> the early church had to deal with it also they had to deal with both what i call this i hate using the word race because we're really only one race uh But that's how it's known today that we're different races. We really aren't. There's only one race. Science proves it. There's only one race. We're the human race. Now, we have different ethnicities. But there's only one race. And within our ethnic groups, we develop our own cultures. And we live in different nations. But we're one race on the planet. Wow. That's revelation enough. Just So then that makes you look around and go, what are we doing? <laughs> Why are we letting the devil separate us like this? But no more. And so I believe that that's part of the necessity of this word. In all that I'm getting, get understanding. The uh, Some of you remember in Acts the 6th chapter when, uh, or I'll just read it. Uh, Acts the 6th chapter. You can turn to it if you like. This was a a racial issue that they had to deal with. Acts 6, starting at the first verse, first verse says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So there, I love the writer, Luke, he just put it right out there. This was an ethnic issue, (laughs) a complaint He didn't say by some people Against some other people (laughs) He described it There arose a complaint Against the Hebrews By the Hellenists (laughs) Because their widows And then he told what it really was Because their widows Were neglected in the daily Distribution Woo. I love, and that's what I love as you read about the things that happened in the early church. They didn't skirt around the issue. They didn't use euphemisms and nice ways of putting it. No, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows wasn't getting their stuff like the others were. And they want to know, hey, what's up? (laughs) What's up? Verse 2, then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And, and I'll put it this way. I love paraphrasing. We're not going to stop doing what we're doing to come and straighten this ethnic battle out for you. And I bring this up because many people look to, sometimes I'll put it this way, we look to the pulpit to straighten it out. We want the pastors and the leaders to say something about it. And these brothers said, no, we're not going to step away from what we've been called to do to address this ethnic issue that's happening right now. Now, many people may feel like, isn't that irresponsible of the apostles to do that? No, this is tremendous wisdom, and it's what must take place in this hour. Listen to what he said. He said in verse 3, therefore, brethren, seek out, From among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, seek out among you. You guys, you straighten this out. You don't need a word to come from the pulpit, you deal with it. Isn't that awesome? Because sometimes, uh, often, especially here in America, I hear it all the time, especially in our community. We need another great leader like Dr. Martin Luther King. No, we don't. We need us. I'm just going to say this as an African-American man in our own community. We need to take care of this ourselves. Because I'm getting ahead of myself. The biggest issue in the black community is not racism. It's the breakdown of our families. Now, there would be many who will disagree with me and they would be angry, fired up, angry with me for saying that. No, it's not the biggest problem in America is white people. No, it's the breakdown of our own families. If dad's was at home, I'll just start there. No, it doesn't. And this doesn't exonerate the racism that does exist by me saying that. But the biggest problem it's not the things happening outside of our community that's coming against it. It's the internal implosion. And all of us can shake our heads because that's what we can say the same thing for our families. Black and white, the biggest issues is not the things coming from the outside in. It's what's happening inside of our own houses, in our own neighborhoods. And I can get real, real close. In our own marriages, <laughs> with our own kids. That's the truth. Wow. Let me jump down to verse six, because they picked some guys. Uh, I just won't go through that list. <laughs> and it said, verse six whom they, and they picked the guys and they set them before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread. Look at that. After they dealt with the racial tension, then the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Wow, they got the ethnic thing straight and even the priests got saved. Now. <laughs> Even priests turned to that thing that was called the way. It had such a powerful uh, influence, the way they handled the ethnic pressure, the division that even priests who were totally devoted to the Torah and Judaism, even they turned to this thing that was called the way. Now you can see the powerful moment that we have. That people who are locked up in religious thoughts, who are locked up in racial thoughts, that we have an opportunity here. That people who we thought would never, ever give their hearts to the Lord. If we do this right in this hour, they will see and recognize who God really is. By this shall men know that we're his disciples. By what? Our love, one for another. Now let's look. Go to Acts 15, and I want to show you how they dealt with religious battle, because religion separates us too. <laughs> Race and religion. <laughs> Starting at verse 23, it says, "The apostles, the elders, and the brethren." This is a letter that was written to. Well, let me just kind of back up and tell you what was going on. Many of you already know this, but some, uh, some people had come out um, and started teaching some things to Gentiles, to those who were not necessarily Hebrew and Jewish, and they had given their hearts to the Lord. They were committed going with the way, but they came out with this teaching and tell them, well, that's all cool and everything that you know that you love the Lord and you're getting filled with the Holy Spirit, but you need, your men need to be circumcised and everybody needs to start obeying the law. I I like all those things that y'all are doing now. Yes, that's great, but you still need to do these things too. It's kind of like uh, I love how God is using Pastor Paul to destroy that mindset Because he's really big on that (laughs) He might be doing that right now Today, Lord help him Give him your grace, favor, protection (laughs) As the word goes forth And he destroys this mindset That we're talking about And so uh, There was a gathering Of Of uh, apostles and leaders to say, to, to really convene and talk about how are we going to deal with those believers who are Gentiles? How are we going to deal with them? Are we going to make them practice Judaism? In other words, for us in this day, it will be how will we deal with people who don't practice their faith the same way that we do? Will we demand that they do it the way we do? Because you do know, um, some of you already may know, that the apostles continued in their Jewish practices, even though they were followers of the way and committed to the Lord Jesus, but but to not cause offense and to not be a stumbling block, they continued to practice the Jewish faith. And many Jewish people continued in that practice. So you can see why there will be some who will come out and say to these Gentiles, well, you all gotta do the same thing we're doing. We love God, we're speaking in tongues and moving in the gifts, but we still practice Judaism. And you're not really saved unless you do the same thing that we do. And the same thing happens today. Some of you have left churches that were, not just left, but you were forced to leave Places that were like that, that if you don't do it the way we do it, you are not saved. <laughs> Looking now, so they wrote a letter to help the Gentiles with this issue. Now let's read the letter. Starting in verse 23, it says, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. We didn't command that. Verse 25, and it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. We got together in one accord. It seemed good to us to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. What we're writing to you, these guys are going to say the same thing. And here's, what I, here's the bottom line. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And here is what I mean about the ministry of reconciliation. You see it right here in that statement. We're not going to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. So when we come across people that they don't necessarily practice their faith the same way that we do, here is how the apostles responded in the beginning. Uh, We're not gonna make them do it the way we do. I'm not gonna lay anything else on you except for what's necessary. And here were the necessary things, at least for their era, in their culture, in their time. He says uh, that you abstain from things offered to idols, Paul went into a real long explanation as to why he <laughs> felt like they shouldn't eat anything offered to idols. One of the main things was that, so that you wouldn't cause an offense, if an unbeliever or even another brother sees you doing that, you you confuse them. I know that you know it's not really an idol. It's it's you know it's I mean it's not really a god. It's you know but. You're going to confuse them, and you could even cause offense. You can cause somebody to stumble. So that's why they was, they stayed consistent with that and said, you know, don't abstain from things offered to idols. Then he said, and abstain from blood, eating eating meat with the blood still in it, and from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Now he says, now here's the final word: if you keep yourselves from these, you will do you will do well. Farewell. End of story. That's it. Can we all just agree on these things? That you're not going to do anything that's going to cause hurt to others, hurting yourself in these particular ways. We're not laying any of the 613 rules of the law on you. (laughs) 613! I'm not putting any of that on you. We're not going to make you come offer the sacrifices. We're not going to make you come and put in the money in the offering uh, chest that's set out at the temple. You don't have to do any of that. In fact, when you see later on in First Corinthians, Paul tells them, "Just give according to what God put in your heart." We're not putting on you all the stuff that we got to do. Isn't that amazing? Wow! And I'll stop there. I want my wife to hand you those handouts, and I want this. I just wanted to put this in your hand as a tool to help you. I call this "Prayer Life Matters." There are matters of prayer that I want you, to just guys, to just to consider as you're praying for our nation, as you're praying for our world. And I put this chart on here just as a matter of maybe just to bring some more of the Ministry of Reconciliation, understanding, uh, and exchange. As you are watching the news and looking at all of the protesters out there, um, I want you to be aware of these things that are going on. I put it in five levels. Now, this isn't anything official. I didn't take polls or anything. This is really just out of my personal observation and experience, both in my life, uh, growing up in the midst of it, as well as talking with a state senator, talking with police officers, uh, uh, talking with people like Brother Gene Arnold. uh, and I've been able to make these observations about what's going on when you see these social justice protesters. I put them, I categorize the people involved in these protests at five levels. The first level, these are people who just have had negative personal experiences, or there are some who just got a concern for future encounters, whether it's with police, or with employment, or with education, various uh, places and people that they've had a negative experience but these are the people who tend to be more like peacemakers Uh, they're looking for unity and agreement so they're not marching to overthrow anything tear up anything they're just marching because this has been my experience in life uh, and I want to have my voice heard and I really want to I want peace I want agreement, that's the first level. These are the people that may or may not demonstrate publicly. Uh, they, they're kind of the people who really prefer to express themselves in public forums. Uh, they prefer private conversations. And I would say that me and my wife, our family are more like that. I like private conversations, I like public forums, whereas controlled environment. <laughs> and many people are here. They're at level one. They're they're not, and they're not planning on going any further than that. And the reason why I'm sharing this is just for understanding, so that it prevents the enemy of painting everybody with the same brush. Many people are here. Uh, in fact, I was watching a young lady. She was being interviewed, standing out on the street, and she was saying in the interview, "This really isn't the best environment to have this type of conversation." She was saying it to the person who was interviewing her. And while she was interviewing, being interviewed, the cops walked up to her and arrested her. And she was out there to try to explain why (laughs) we don't need to do it this way. But she got arrested. Why? Because she was out there. They didn't know. They wouldn't know. All they know is there's a bunch of people out here. Now, I'll tell you reason why later, why something like that can happen. It wasn't because they were attacking her because she was black. Police have a tough job. And I'll tell you why why in a minute. Level two, level of, pro- of protesters. These are the people who are actually looking for changes in public policy and laws. and But they're, they still are the type of people who are looking for a peaceful resolution. They may be out there marching, but they're still looking for peaceful resolution. But their goal is to do more than just have conversation and, and um, an agreement, like the first level. Second level people, we want changes in public policy and changes in the law, but they're still looking for a peaceful res- resolution. They will demonstrate uh, publicly. They will participate in marches and rallies and civil disobedient acts, and they will recruit others to join in with them. But their goal is really just changes in public policies and the law. Now, the third level, These are people who are not only looking for changes in public policy and laws, but they want changes in personnel. (laughs) They're looking for more than law change. I want the people who are currently in power removed. (laughs) But they tend, those type of people tend to be more covert. They're the ones who are actually operating behind the scenes. They are lobbying legislators. They're not on the streets. They go to the Capitol, and they're lobbying legislators. They're the ones who are promoting boycotts. Again, see, that's not confronted. Boycott says, don't go to such and such a place. Not show up. Don't show up. So their way is not confrontational with the public. Theirs is to launch movements where we take money away from business. Like the way the gay community said, let's boycott such and such a company because they don't believe what we believe. So there are some gay activists, they're not going to be on the streets marching, they're lobbying legislators and they're calling for boycotts and they're calling for people to be fired. But they'll never be out on the streets. you'll never see their faces. It's interesting. I'm sharing you all the different levels the same thing when it comes to racial issues there are many um, African American leaders they are not going to show their faces in fact the most powerful ones you will never see and this is kind of a side note Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson do not have the power that it seems like they do I can tell you that because we see their faces too much the ones who have power they don't show their faces, am I right (laughs) Gene? The ones who have power, they, you'll never see them. Yep. The ones who you've got to see them all the time, it's because they're fighting, they're still fighting for influence and power. They're trying to maintain something that they once had. 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's not like that anymore. In fact, when Jesse Jackson came to St. Louis, after the Ferguson riots, the 20 and 30-year-old kids, the massive crowd, they told go home. Go home, go home, go home. We don't need you. We don't. Yeah. (laughs) Then the fourth level, these are people who are looking for not just change in public policy, not just change in leadership, but they're looking for a new government structure. Yeah. They're looking to move in to bring forth their socialist agenda along with the global agenda. I know Pastor Joe Green has come and talked with you a couple of times about the globalist. And they, these are the people who uh, um, they tend to, they'll show up as something like a Black Lives Matter protest, but they're there with other agendas like gay marriage, pro-choice, women's rights, gun control, and all other kinds of stuff. And they mix in with the crowd. And so you can start off with someone who's a level one, I I'm on level, let me say, start level two, I'm just here to get my voice heard and I'm looking for a peaceful resolution, but you turn around and you look and there's all these other militant groups in the crowd and you're like, where did all these people come from? That wasn't why, were we joined together again from personal experience st louis and i shared this with gene uh how relatives and young people that we used to pastor called us here and said that pastor chris there's busloads of people coming into st louis we don't know who these people are we don't know why they're here and they were the ones making the trouble yeah A lot of the arrests that took place in Ferguson, the majority of the people that were arrested were not even from St. Louis. They were brought in. They were people like this. They've got another agenda. Um, So they often, let me read the side note. uh, These are the people that are organizing events and activities within agendas to create situations of chaos. They infiltrate legitimate peaceful protests to undermine efforts. They create narratives and visual messages that underscore their true agenda. And they're actively pushing for a new government order. That's what's going on. Wow. So I'm sharing this so that you understand there's a whole big mix when you catch these 30 second, 90 second clips of massive groups of people blocking traffic and all those kinds of things you've got almost as many different reasons for people out there as there are people out there. (laughs) They're not all united in one big, massive, uh, um, united complaint. There's all kinds of things happening in those moments. Uh, And then the fifth level, which is the, the most sinister of them all, they are actively creating a new world government structure they're active about it. They are the elite groups and individuals who have the power and the money to initiate and to fund and to promote and control and guide the overall agendas. In other words, those people who are infiltrating, they're, they're being paid to do so. And so the fifth level of the people who are way up and they're the ones who are controlling the media, uh, telling them what videos to show, what footage to put out to the public, because they're creating a narrative to keep the nation divided. We keep thinking, they keep promoting this narrative that it's black against white, that it's black against police. And I'm telling you, this is one person. We're just one family. It's not that simple. There are people that are there, they've had a bad experience with the police or at the school or on their job. And sometimes it's racism, sometimes it's just prejudice. And to me, there's a difference. I can be on a job with people who are prejudiced against me, but they aren't, to, they aren't trying to get me fired. They just don't like me because I'm a black man. I had a boss like that. Uh, she, was a, she was white, liberal, and gay. So we were totally opposite, black, male, Heterosexual. So we were complete, complete opposite ends. <laughs> and she would, she would uh, yell at me, speak abusively to me publicly on the job to the point that even one of my coworkers, uh, uh, and she was white, but she came over to me, young girl, she was about in her 30s, and she said, Chris, does she understand that you're a grown man? It was that bad. The Holy Spirit kept telling me, calm, calm down. And I, a couple of times I had to go to the restroom and pray in the spirit <laughs> to calm down. I of mean, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have abusive bosses. Uh, and so uh, one day she came into the office, stormed in, and slammed the door to her office. She was quiet, and later on I had to go in to see her about something so I knock on the door and she opens, opens the door and she or I open the door and she looks up and she's been bawling crying so I "Is what's wrong? Is what's, you know everything okay? and she said I just found out that a friend of mine passed away oh I'm so sorry to hear that oh my and then the Lord put on me and my wife's heart to give her a condolence card just from the two of us Afterwards, her attitude completely changed toward me. So I'm talking about reconciliation. Don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with good. So in her moment of crisis, my wife and I reach out to her with just a condolence card. Heard about your loss when we're praying for you. That was it. She totally changed. She changed so much Here's what she did for me. She got me a two grade level pay increase. Now, many of you, if you've ever worked in state government, you know you can work for years before you get a one grade level increase. She got me a two grade level pay increase. And shortly afterwards, uh, this was under uh, Rendell, during the time Rendell was the governor, Uh, he put a pay freeze on because the economy started bottoming out and everything, and then we had a pay freeze, and so for what, what, three, four years maybe you may not have known that but state employees had their pay frozen, couldn't get any increases, but God had already put me ahead of the game by having us reach out to someone who was absolutely prejudiced against me on several levels. Black, heterosexual, and a man, and a Christian, all of it. (laughs) So I'm talking out of experience when I say, God can help us to get past whatever is the issue in someone's heart. This is how we can be led into a ministry of reconciliation. And I wanted to at least put this tool in your hands, so that as you're hearing about what's going on and seeing what's going on, that now you're equipped. You say, oh, I may not know exactly what's happening with what the news is telling me, but now I understand better. There's, the people are operating on so many different levels. There are mothers who are out there marching because they're just afraid for their kids. That's all. They're not trying to overthrow the government. They don't know anything about the socialist globalist movement. (laughs) They aren't shooting at any cops. They're just worried about their kids. That's all. But then there are those who are in that crowd who don't care anything about that mother or her kids. They're trying to advance an agenda and they don't care if they cause a riot and these kids get hurt or killed because what they'll do is take the footage from that incident, which they created by antagonizing the crowd and they'll put that footage on television and say, here's the reason why we need to hate this group and hate that group when they're the ones who actually manipulated the situation and made this happen in the first place. That's how deep it is, y'all. And Gene can tell you much more than me. (laughs) I look forward to the day when we can have just a public forum and just kind of sit some people like me and Joe Green and Jean and Pastor Paul and really just talk about it and let everyone ask questions. You know, why do black people do this? Well, why do white people do that? Well, why do you Latin people do this? Well, what's the deal between Mexicans and Puerto Ricans and Cubans? How come y'all in a fight and a battle? Then that way, just like I did when I gave you this, this little chart, we know better. How to what? Reconcile. So when you hand me your dollar bill and say, would you give me change for this? Would you exchange what I'm telling you about my life's experience and share with me your life's experience? And then we are united. Bless the Lord. So I want you to pray about these things. And I'm just going to... I'll, I, I won't go as far as I had intended, but I wanna pray about these 10 things. We wanna pray that the, about the biggest issue in urban America is the breakdown of the family, fatherlessness. Number two, America's aborting babies at a rate of 3,000 per day. That's a matter of prayer. America is approved and sanctioned perversion in defiance of God and his word. Number four, the church must walk in ethnic unity but not at the expense of silence, and that's why I brought up all of this. We can't just say, I forgive you, I forgive you, everything's okay, it's cool. No, let's talk about it. Let's reconcile. Let's compare notes. <laughs> Number five, the church must become leaders in supporting reconciliation and family healing efforts in urban community. I love you guys because you've been doing that for us. As uh, You guys have been financially supporting us in the ministry so that we can bring this level of reconciliation and healing to those we are serving in Harrisburg. I want to just say thank you once again. I love you guys so we love you so much. Um number six, pray for God to expose corruption in the protest movements, law enforcement, legislators, corruption, yeah, even in churches, (laughs) educators, Pastor Paul's I always think of Pastor Paul when I think of corruption in the church, educators, businesses, and all other forms of leadership and authority in our neighborhoods, communities, and cities. We need to pray for repentance and humility to become the new normal amongst God's people. We need to pray for revival to break out in the urban community amongst all people groups. Yeah, that's my prayer, because we're in there. It's not the exclusion of those of you who live out here, but that's where we are, and I want to see revival among black and white and Latino and Asian and the Native Americans that are here. The First Nation, I want to see revival in the city. I want to number nine, pray that the evil agenda of Satan would be destroyed in this nation. Yes, Lord. And finally, pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just join with me, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for this word this message that you gave us to share and i thank you that these words of that these words would find good soil we pray that it was wisdom that comes from you so that we can really live out what your word says that in all thine getting get understanding that we will truly be able to bear with one another i thank you now for destroying the plan of the enemy to keep the church divided and for make, I thank you for making us an example, a model that the world can follow. <laughs> I thank you for such reconciliation on the issues of race and religion that it will be just like it was for the early church, that even priests <laughs> became obedient to the faith because they saw and felt and experienced the genuine love, the genuine unity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord.